Go west, young man. One of the most oft-quoted phrases in American history. I found out that it is uh, usually attributed to a journalist from New York by the name of Horace Greeley. Uh, He said this in 1865, so quite a long time ago. Washington, speaking of D.C., it's not a place to live in. The rents are high, the food is bad, the morals are deplorable. Go west, young man. Go west and grow up with the country. Maybe uh, good advice still today, you know, several hundred almost years later. Go west, young man. Uh, interestingly enough, this is, there's a biblical parallel to this. Um, although not at all related to America, this is exactly the story of Genesis from the time of the very first sin in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know that God expelled them from the garden and then protected them from the garden so that they would not be able to get to the tree of life. We talked about that several sermons ago in our study of Genesis. Well, what happened is God sent them east. And then that is the trajectory of sinful humanity from that point forward. We see it repeated in uh, Adam and Eve's first son, Cain, their evil son, who was cursed. We see he gets driven even further east away from his parents. Even after the flood, Noah's sons, in particular Ham and all of his descendants, so we learned about in Genesis chapter 10, go east again. And they attempt to build cities and a tower in particular in Babel, which we know now as Babylon, where they attempted to become their own god. So sin is always driving people east in Genesis. The sins of the fathers passed down to the sons. But despite God's judgment in sending people east and sinful people going that way, and despite God's judgment on sinful humanity, God preserves and God pursues humanity with the promise of blessing. That an offspring of Eve, remember Genesis chapter 3, would one day come to crush the head of the serpent. Sure, the serpent would strike his heel, but ultimately the head of the serpent will be crushed. Mankind can be made right with God again because of this offspring of Eve. So man's relationship can be restored to God. And ultimately, mankind can return from the east back west. So in Genesis, when you think about the phrase, go west, young man, it's a return to blessing. It's a return to relationship with God. It's choosing the right way. It's a spiritual direction as much as it is a physical one. Genesis chapter 11, where we'll be today in verses 27 through 32, is a turning point in the book of Genesis, a literal turning point, beginning the reversal of the eastern trajectory of sinful humanity through one family that God calls to go west, a family that represents the chosen seed or offspring of Eve to once again bring mankind back into restored relationship to God and to live in his blessing again. But yet again, as we've seen this pattern repeat over and over again in the beginning of Genesis, there's a son, a son of promise, who's contrasted with a father who fails to stay faithful. And this will be the story until one final son, who is the only son ever able to be completely faithful, comes from the father to a distant land, from heaven to earth, 
to live a perfect life and give his life as a sacrifice for all. That's Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect son. So the story is going to repeat over and over again that the fathers ultimately fail, but God holds the promise in pursuing humanity for blessing through the son. So we see this contrast yet again. So before we get to chapter 12 and forward in the book of Genesis, where we see these big characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we start with Abraham's father, Terah. So look with me in chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. And I'll read it for you, but you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible in your hand. It says, these are the family records of Terah. We're going to see that phrase over and over again through Genesis. That's how we know we're getting to a new section of Genesis. The family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, we now know as Abraham. Fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abraham and Nahor took wives. Abraham, Abram, excuse me, his wife's name was Sarai. Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. A couple things just to note here as we begin our study of these few verses. Uh, you'll notice that there's two names, Haran, uh, right in the beginning that uh, Terah had a son named Haran who died. Uh, then they end up settling in a place called Haran. You just need to know those are two different, one's a person, one's a place. Possible that the person was named after the place, being maybe a place of ancestry for uh, Terah and his ancestors. So uh, Haran, that's just maybe clears up a little confusion. Again, like I said, Abram, we now know as Abraham. Later in the story of Genesis, his name will be changed to Abraham. But what we find here in chapter 11 at the end is not just a precursor to chapter 12, as if it's chronological, but it's really a preview of the entire life and story of Abraham. So it's sort of like we're taking a broad view uh, in just a few verses at Abraham's life, starting with his father, ending with his father's death, and the beginning of Abram's call uh, to Canaan. So this is going to be the story over the next few chapters of Abram and how he picks up this call. But as we see at the end of chapter 11, kind of a broad picture, what chapter 12 is going to do is then narrow in and zoom in the focus on Abram himself. But chapter 11 is not a precursor to chapter 12, it's just a preview. So Abram was first called Abram, we now know him as Abraham, but his name means father. Think about this for a second. What we learned here in these passages is that we have a man named Father who's married to a woman who is barren and unable to conceive. This is going to be a central theme to the whole story as God promises children from this couple. A miraculous child. Shout out to Christmas. Already beginning to hear the story in Genesis that God can provide a, a child of miracle a child of promise to lead his people 
away from sin and back into restored relationship with God. So this is going to become a central theme. We've got it right here. This man named Father married to Sarai who is unable to have children. What will God do? Then we meet Milcah who ends up being the grandmother-in-law of Abraham and Sarah's future miracle son. Then we meet Lot who had lost his own father, Haran, and was taken in by Uncle Abram uh, like the son he never had, which is going to be a preview again of some things we'll get to in Abram's life where Abram and Sarah attempt to be God for themselves. They know that God has promised them a son, but they're unable to have children. So they attempt in several ways to sort of make children happen on their own without, ha- without waiting on God. But it's in verse 31 that we learn about this journey westward where the turning point happens, where all of sinful humanity have been driven to the east, and now we see God calling people back west again. It's the journey from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. Ur would have been like New York City at this time. I mean, it was thriving. It was happening. It was the place to be. It's modern-day Babylon. I mean, this is where all the cultural things are happening. Um, Canaan would have been more like Harleton, uh, you know, we're from, familiar with Harleton. So, you know, there's a couple of good things happening there, but for the most part, it's kind of unknown. I mean, everything that's happening in the world is going east. So why would God call them back west? Well, Abram, when he receives this call from God, was still under Terah's household. I mean, Abram, Abram has a wife. They've attempted to have children, but they don't, yeah, he's still living under his father's household. So before they ever leave for Haran is when God calls Abram to Canaan. Now this is later confirmed. If you read through chapter 12, I'm just going to clear it up here. It's going to talk about how Abram leaves his father's house. They leave from Haran and headed towards Canaan. But the whole of scripture kind of points to this idea that Terah was very much part and parcel uh, to God's call on Abram to go to the land of Canaan. So Genesis chapter 15, when God uh, renews the covenant and reiterates the covenant with Abraham, we see him confirm that this call started in Ur when he was still under Terah's household. Uh, That then in Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, we see it confirmed again as a sort of history lesson that the call of Abraham began in Ur under his father's household, in the New Testament even. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is sharing the gospel, and who does he bring up but Abraham and including his father Terah, and how they answered the call from Ur all the way to go to Canaan. So God's chosen family, including Terah, the the patriarch, was headed west to reestablish relationship with God and to live under God's blessing yet again. But Terah, who journeyed with his son toward the promised land, in contrast with Abram, did not stay faithful to the call. That's the story we're going to see. Terah started strong, but then stopped short. So we're going to see how he started strong. Look at verse 31. Uh, To initially leave their homeland of Ur, Terah, as head of the clan, would have ultimately been the one to make the call to uproot the whole family and go together. To not just let Abram and Sarai strike out on their own, but to uproot everyone that was left and go, okay, we're all in this together. So either the call to head west to Canaan came to Terah first, or Terah was all in on God's call to Abram. Either way, this is the weight 
behind verse 31. It's an answer to the call of God. Verse 31, it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram, Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. So what Terah is doing in these verses at the end of chapter 11 is essentially saying what Joshua would later famously say in the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 24 when he says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This is the picture of Terah, the father of Abram. And we now know as Abraham, the son of promise. It's starting good. He's starting out strong. In fact, he's starting out so strong, we can see as they set out together for Canaan, it's the first time since the expulsion from the Garden of Eden that humans have turned around and gone the other way. That they're returning to God. And to Terah's credit, they went a long way. I want to show you this map here just to show you how far they actually traveled. You can see in the bottom right-hand corner uh, under Sumer, there's Ur. This little place just south of what's known as Babylon and all this region of Babylonia, right? So along the Euphrates River, going north, is Haran. This is where they stop and where Terah dies. Now, Canaan is on the left-hand side. And the call was to Canaan, right? That's where God wanted Abram to go. It's where Terah set out with his family from Ur to Canaan. Now, you might ask the question, why didn't they just go straight west? Well, you see there, it's the Arabian Desert. I mean, that would have been certain death for them. And it was just wisdom to follow the river, to stay by water, to go along where civilization was happening, to get there, right? They just know that they're going this way. They're heading west. And well, they get to Haran, that is no small feat. It's about 600 miles or so from Ur to Haran. 600 miles. One commentator said, that's a lot of miles to put on one pair of sandals. Right? I was thinking about how uh, I, they probably would have benefited from Crocs. You guys know about Crocs? You know how Crocs have the uh, little strap that goes on the back? I wonder if they had little straps on the back. And in East Texas, we call that putting your Crocs in four-wheel drive, right? I mean, 600 miles, that's a long way to go. That's no small feat. We've got to give Terah some credit here. But on the way to obedience, something happened. And Terah stayed in Haran. They had nearly another 550 miles to go to get to Canaan. They were over halfway. And Terah stopped short. Look at what verse 31 says at the end. When they came to Haran, they settled there. When they came to Haran, they settled there. That phrase is key because it's already shown up in this chapter before. Do you remember talking about the Tower of Babel as people were going eastward and they came to the Valley of Shinar and they settled there? When you see repetition like that in the Bible, it means something. So they settled there as the author reminding us of the Babel story. And if you're a parent in the room and you're leading your kids somewhere, can I just say it's not a good thing for the defining biblical phrase about your life to also be a repetition of a story that's about prideful disobedience and rebellion against God. From the very same chapter, something has happened in Haran and Terah becomes disobedient. The call was to Canaan. They didn't quite make it all the way. They stopped halfway, right? They set out for a destination 
it seems that Terah settled for a distraction. And there's a clue here in his name. The Hebrew name Terah could actually be translated delay. Delay. A delay doesn't sound as bad as disobedience, right? But parents in the room, I wonder if you've ever had an experience where you're, uh, you told your kids something like, I need you to clean your room. And you kind of go about your business and then you come back a little while later and what do you find but your kid playing video games or something in a messy room? And what do those kids say? I was going to do it. I was about to start. Is that just a delay? No, it's disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so here we have Terah, delay, who delays in Haran as an act of defiance and disobedience against God. Now, we got to give him a little bit of credit. I mean, Terah is not acting childish. childish. Uh, he's actually navigating some really difficult life circumstances. Why would he stop? Why would he pause? We've got to ask these kind of questions. The text actually reveals some things that might be going on in Terah's life to cause him to pause on obedience, to delay disobedience, and ultimately be disobedient. Wow. So what might be the reasons for delayed obedience? The first could just be that he was exhausted. 600 miles, nothing to shake a stick at, right? It could have been ill. May have needed some time to recover. May have had some bad food along the way. I mean, there's no way to know exactly what happened, but at some point he stalled and then completely stalled out. Uh, this is like in October. I was thinking about this this morning. I uh, had a really good year this year going to the gym and, and being, you know, at least trying to be somewhat fit. I got sick in October. Um, I came down with a little sinus infection and knocked me out for a little while. Do you know when the last time I went to the gym was? Before October. I'm just being real. <laughs> Maybe you can identify with me. Because this happens when we get exhausted, when we get through busy seasons of life, when we get sick. It's just things, our rhythms and routines change and it causes a delay. Well, this happened broadly to us as a culture. Three years ago, COVID came in and caused a delay in, or a distraction uh, or a disruption to our rhythms. And you can think about just the number of people that were involved in church and serving, just an example, before COVID, and look at around now, like the greatest need we have in our churches is for people to serve. And so this is a direct result that when you're distracted or when you get some time off or when you just kind of get into a disrupted rhythm and you start a new habit and you go, oh, it's actually kind of nice to sleep in on Sundays or, uh, you know, have an extra night of the week to myself. It's actually kind of nice uh, to be able to just turn on YouTube and watch a sermon instead of having to come and listen to this guy, you know. Uh, this is kind of a good thing, right? Uh, and then that leads to other patterns of disobedience. It's not that the distraction is the bad thing. It's what happens with it, what comes along with it. And this seems to be a possible reason for Terah's uh, delayed obedience. They just went a long way. He was probably tired. He also could have just gotten distracted with other things. Uh, the word Haran in the Hebrew could be translated crossroads. 
because Haran was a crossroads. It was sort of at the apex of this Euphrates River. Uh, it was a trade route where people came from all directions to do commerce, to have make business. It was a very fertile land. There's lots of agriculture happening there. So when you arrive 600 miles from Ur up the Euphrates River and you get to this land that seems like it's got everything going for it, you have to, to wonder, did Haran think that maybe this is where we're supposed to be? Or excuse me, did Terah think that Haran was where we're supposed to be? Maybe he got distracted by needing to get some more income. He felt like, hey, if we just pause here, Abram, Sarai, Lot, we just hang out here, we can all work a little bit, we can get some stuff built up for our journey, and then what happens is you just keep working. You keep working, and you keep working. Because there's commerce happening, there's opportunity there. So you wouldn't want to move on beyond that, right? I wonder if that happens to us sometimes. We're, we're in a season where we just need to work more. And then work becomes the thing we worship rather than God. It could have happened to Terah. I mean, this was the crossroads. This was where things were happening. Maybe it was just the distraction of accumulating stuff. We see in Abram's story that on their journey, he actually accumulates a lot. Animals, herds, people. I mean, this is like a, a, a nomadic society under Abram. Well, maybe they just kind of got stuck here in this system of accumulation. I just need to get more. What I have is not quite enough. That sounds like today too, right? We deal with that same thing. Maybe it was just more comfortable. After a long journey, you go, you know, I got a bed here. <laughs> I got a place I can lay my head. Uh, I know what to expect. I don't know what to expect if I keep going west. So it could have been just a, a distraction. Could have been grief. Did you catch what happened in verse 28? Just this little note. These notes are important. That while Terah was still alive, his son named Haran died. That's not an easy thing for a father. It's not an easy thing for anybody. But for a father to have a son who dies to outlive your son has got to cause grief. You have to wonder when they arrived in Haran, if Terah wasn't reminded of his son that was left behind in Haran, who ultimately would die. It could be that his son Haran was actually named after the place Haran because of some ancestral ties there. And Terah could have just gotten stuck in a cycle of grief. Just said, you know what? I want to be obedient, but this is just too hard right now. I just need to be to myself. I just need to take a pause here. I just need to, to catch my breath. And those things aren't bad, but when they turn into disobedience, they become bad. So Haran gets stuck. He stops short. And you see what happens at the end of verse 32. He dies there. That was the end of his story. Now, regardless of the reason for his delay in obedience, which maybe it could have been any of those things, the results of his disobedience were dire. So when he started just pausing, maybe for a few days, he ended up like a full stop for decades, 25 years. He stayed in Haran and died there. So what are the results of this disobedience, this delay? Well, the first could be just spiritual drift in general. Spiritual drift in general. Haran was a crossroads of commerce, but it was also a place where paganism thrived. 
there was a god to the moon who was sort of like uh, a pagan god that had its uh, its temple, so to speak, right there in Haran. It was a central location for worship of, of pagan gods. And you wonder if Terah got into Haran and stayed there and got swept up into some of this stuff. Joshua would actually tell Terah's story later on down the road, and he would remind us of Abraham's father named Terah, who worshipped pagan gods beyond the Euphrates River. That's an interesting note that Joshua would make in remembering his ancestor Terah. Could it be that when Terah pressed pause on obedience to God, that he just began to drift spiritually? Have you ever noticed that growing spiritually isn't something that just happens casually? That it actually takes intentionality? And that if you're casual about your faith, the direction you go is usually not toward God. It's typically away from God. This is what's happening with Terah. Delayed obedience, it opened him up to being enticed by lesser gods. You've maybe heard that a fish has everything it needs when it's under the water, yet it doesn't stop him from going for a shiny lure, right? Sometimes we're paused And it leads us to a distraction that ultimately ends in disobedience. So spiritual drift. He also could have resulted in separation from his family. Read on through chapter 12. God makes this call explicit to Abram. We've seen where he says, leave your homeland. uh, Leave your father's house. Leave your family behind. And go. Essentially, God might be saying to Abram, if Terah is not going to finish the journey with you, then go on your own. Go on your own. And so Abram and Sarai and Lot, they keep on going toward Canaan. And Terah misses so much in the life of his family. We haven't studied the whole story of Abraham. We'll get there, but there's some pretty incredible things happen. We've got a guy who is from Ur and has traversed the the Mediterranean area, right? This ancient Mesopotamia, and he's walked hundreds of miles uh, with basically nothing. And then this is a man who ends up standing before pharaohs and kings. Terah missed that. Abram is a guy who ends up seeing God provide for him in miraculous ways. Terah missed that. Terah would never meet his grandchildren because he chose to stay in Haran. So much of his family's life that he missed because of his choice to delay obedience, to be disobedient. But I wonder even more, not just being separated from what God was doing in his family, what did Terah miss God doing in his own life? What miracles might God have done in Terah's life had he gone to Canaan with Abram that he missed out on? Uh, Who knows? But there was a cost for his disobedience. Finally, the result is just that he settled for less. He settled there in Haran, and settled is the key word. He just settled for less. Less than true abundance. Less than true human flourishing. This is what we know from our study of Genesis so far. Do you remember chapter 1? God created us in his image. God created us male and female, in his image, because we could be reflections of him to the ends of the earth. 
And that as we live under his rule and reign in this paradise of delight called Eden, that we would have fullness of being, that we would be whole, that we would have no lack, and everything would be provided. We've had perfect communion with God and with one another. This is where life is best, yet mankind chose sin. Sin was a rebellion against God. It was autonomy from God. It was the attempt to be their own God. And what did God do? He expelled them from the garden. They went east, away from delight, away from wholeness, away from flourishing. And that's the trajectory of mankind. When we take matters into our own hands, we're always moving away from true flourishing. But if we would turn west, so to speak, like Abram, and return to God's blessing, return to faithfulness to God, return to God's promises, then what we experience is a return to human flourishing. We can finally understand what it means to be human in relationship with God. That's right. So where is life missing? Where does it feel like life is coming up short or things just keep happening against you and you just can't quite get a hold on life? It's because of sin. And the answer is to turn towards God, to go back towards him, to experience true flourishing. And this is a result of Terah's disobedience as he missed out on that. He settled for less. Delaying or departing from complete obedience to God is to reject the only path to full, flourishing, abundant life. How do we know this? Contrast Terah's death in verse 31 with Abram's death in Genesis chapter 25. You can flip over there in your Bibles uh, or I'll just read it for you. Genesis chapter 25, verse 7 through 8. Remember in chapter 11, the end, this is what happened. He lived 205 years and then Terah died. That's it. Stuck in Haran. Here's Abram's story. Genesis chapter 25, verse 7 and 8. This is the length of Abraham's life. 175 years. He took his last breath and died at a good old age, old and contented. And he was gathered to his people, his sons, who, by the way, they didn't get along, Ishmael and Isaac. His sons buried him. And there he was buried with his wife, Sarah. Now, the ending of Abraham's life is quite a contrast to the end of Terah's life. Abraham, old and contented, a good old age. But did you catch it? He only lived 175 years. Terah, his father, lived 205 years. Terah lived a longer life. Abraham lived a fuller life because he was faithful to follow God. Was he perfect? No. We're going to see this in the next coming weeks. So you're going to look at the life of Abraham and go, wait, is this the Abraham that we sang about as kids? Is this the Abraham I've always heard about? Because this doesn't seem like the right Abraham. Abraham had some serious issues, but he never stopped. He needed forgiveness. He needed to repent often, but he never stopped following God. He never gave up. He didn't stop short. And even though he didn't live as long as his father, his life was more abundant because he followed God. So Terah missed out. He had to settle for less. And it was there he died. Now, despite the results of his disobedience, there is grace here. 
we've talked about this in Genesis, how grace shows up regardless of sinful humanity. Because God wants to pursue humans with his blessing. He wants humans to be blessed. He wants to be in restored relationship. And so he pursues humanity with grace. And one explanation for Terah living 205 years is that God was giving him the daily grace of an opportunity to continue the journey of faithfulness. That for all those extra 25 years, every day, day in and day out, it was like God woke up wondering, is Terah going to follow me again? Is Terah going to continue the journey or is he going to stay put? And so this is a grace that he showed him to give him years of opportunity. I wonder how many of you here today are stuck spiritually? How many of you today have had a chunk or a season of your life where you've just kind of fizzled out spiritually? where you kind of know the right thing, but you just haven't really gotten around to it. Every day is an act of grace, the grace of God toward your life to give you another opportunity to continue on the journey of following him, to continue toward abundance and fulfillment and flourishing in obedience to him alone. It is the only way to get there. The reality is, if you are still here, there is still time for obedience, to follow God, to go his direction with your life. This is what we're hearing and learning from Terah. It's a contrast to what we would want. It's a negative example. God wants us to live like Abram, willing to go, willing to follow into the unknown, to experience blessing and fullness and promise. Did Abram get it right? No, he almost never got it right, but he kept going. And God's grace was evident in his life to the point that his life ended in fulfillment and contentment. So where are you today? Are you living like Terah? Are you living like Abraham? That's the question. Is God has called us on a journey of faith to a future land of promise. Just like he called Abram to a land of promise. Ours is not a physical land. It is a spiritual land, one that God will make physical when he remakes creation. The old will be passed away and the new will come. This is the story of our lives through faith in Jesus. It's the story of the whole world, that what God created as good, that sin made bad, God is gonna punish and conquer sin and then he's gonna remake the earth good and perfect again so that we can dwell with him together there. We are on a faith journey in Christ to a future land of promise. The question is, are we still going? Are we still moving? Are we putting one foot in front of the other spiritually? If we're not taking next steps spiritually, we're taking no steps spiritually. And the danger of delayed obedience is complete disobedience. And we saw what happened to Terah. True blessing, true flourishing are found in complete obedience to God. And it's only possible because God sent his son, Jesus, the perfect son, who would be completely obedient, who would never sin, who would pay the price for sinfulness and make a way for sinful humanity to be restored to God for eternal life. This is the good news. This is the whole story of the Bible told right here in a few verses. 
This is what God calls us to. I wonder if you're stuck in Haran. Could you identify what has you stuck? Could, could you identify, is it work? Is it a relationship? Is it something like uh, the, just the need to make money? Is it something like you just are tired? Is it grief? Or something else from the outside that's come in and, and is suppressing or oppressing your spiritual desire to be obedient to God? And then would you open yourself up again to Jesus, the perfect son who changes us from the inside out so that we're not living in obedience for his favor, but we're living in obedience from his favor, from his grace, from his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. This is the call of Christianity. So if you're stuck in Haran, if you can think about it today, what is your next step? Where are you headed? What is one step one foot in front of the other spiritually for you? Is it to choose to follow Jesus? To say, I recognize this, this, the need for a savior, that my sinfulness needs to be forgiven. I need to be restored to relationship with God. And the only way to do that is through faith in Jesus Christ. That may be your next step spiritually. You can take that step today. If you put your faith in Jesus, your next step after that is to be baptized to go public, to tell the world, this is, this is who I am now. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm ready to show everyone what God has done in my heart and make that public. That's a next step to take. And delaying that next step is disobedience. There are more next steps to take. How are you being conformed to the image of Christ? This is the goal of our faith. Paul would articulate this in the book of Romans in the New Testament, uh, that God is working in us to make us look more like Jesus. How are you partnering with God to become more like Jesus? How are you partnering with God to see our world renewed to glorify him again? These are the questions of what next steps are in front of you. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but God can. And he may already be telling you what your next step is. If you want some help figuring that out, we want to help figure that out with you. We want to pray with you. We want to give you some counsel. We want to search the scriptures and find out where are you, what is your next step. This is what church is for, where we all recognize places where we fall short and we rally together and we help each other pursue obedience to Jesus. So you're in the right place. Haran doesn't have to be the end of your story. You don't have to stay spiritually stuck. We can all move forward together, setting out together in obedience to Jesus toward the future land of promised to see our lives changed and our world changed because of it. This is the call. So where have you stopped short? Where have you settled in a relationship to God? I would like to give you a chance to think about that and pray about that and even to respond to it, to literally put one foot in front of the other to take a spiritual next step. So I wanna lead us in a moment of prayer and response Haley's going to come and lead us in a, a song of response. The call today is what, back in my younger days, we used to call rededication to Christ or recommitment to Christ. Those words are a little misleading. What I'm just simply asking you to do is if you're stuck, to start putting one foot in front of the other spiritually again. To start moving in obedience toward God again. Wherever it's been, wherever, however long you've been there, God is showing grace to you today. He's calling you to obedience. What will you do? 
I want to pray for you, and then we're going to stand and sing this song with Haley. We're going to end our worship together today, but while we sing, I'm going to invite you uh, to do a couple things, either to come and find me or one of our prayer partners at the back of the room, and just to tell us you're stuck or you need to follow Jesus or what you think your next step is or that you don't know your next step, and we want to pray with you today. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray today. Maybe you need to kneel at your chair and pray. Maybe instead of singing, you just bow your head and ask God, what's my next step? Every one of us have a spiritual next step. And if we're not taking it, we're being disobedient. Let me pray for you. And we'll take these steps together. God, thank you for the perfect son, Jesus, who got it right. Uh, who is your son, God him, yourself. You, you came to be our sacrifice for sin. You came to restore our relationship with you so that regardless of our disobedience, you can show us grace through faith. God, may we be, may we be a people today who don't settle spiritually, who continue moving forward in our journey of faith toward obedience to you. That God, when you say go or do or be or stop or change or whatever, whatever you tell us to do, that we would be people who say yes. God, I, I have only a, sh a shadow of a vision of a church that is pursuing you in full obedience. You see it clearly that it's possible for this church to be moving together, setting out together to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be changing this world for Jesus. You've got big dreams for us, big plans for us. Help us be obedient by taking one step at a time. And God, would you renew us, strengthen us, for the long journey. Remind us of the rest that is to come when we dwell with you forever. God, may your grace be the theme of our lives today as we respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.